Hello and welcome back to another edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. I'm alone again today, so I hope you'll spend uh, a short 10 to 12 minutes with me um, on a very important topic. Some of the political mist has begun to clear since the ANC met to elect a new leadership or re-elect the old one in December last year. President Cyril Ramaphosa may be taking a genuinely peculiar amount of time to reshuffle his cabinet, but it seems not because he has an ideological puzzle to resolve or that he can't find people to replace um, Lindiwe Sisulu at tourism or the chap at uh, transport. It turns out it might all be rather more precarious. It seems Ramaphosa has at least two full-blown criminals, possibly even killers, as cabinet colleagues, and that he knows about it. We don't know their names, not officially, but unofficially we probably all do. Well, certainly we will know them, we'll recognize them, when and if they are ever exposed. And of course, if they ever appear in a reshuffled cabinet, we'll know that we are truly screwed. There's a very public unraveling of the ANC going on around us as I speak. Um, if we get to the center, we will have found the monsters eating or stealing around a billion rand a month from ESCOM, triggering all sorts of problems that we live with now. The current unraveling started with um, former ESCOM CEO uh, Andre de Reiter's really eye-popping interview on ECNA, ENCA, sorry, with Annika Larson last week. Um, in it, he revealed that ESCOM has been successfully infiltrated by four cartels operating out of Mpumalanga. That's where most of ESCOM's coal-fired power plant sits. And that he told a minister of at least one other cabinet member who was involved with the cartels. That minister we know now, the minister he told, was Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. This is the writer's line minister. He reports to the Department of Public Enterprises. Um, Gordon concedes that Dereta may have um, alluded to some names, but what his attitude seems to be, should he do about it? If Dereta knows, in other words, why doesn't he go to the police if he's got evidence? That's been the party line so far, but I doubt it'll hold for long. Dereta also told Larson he spoke to another minister, not apparently Godin, about his fears that there were attempts ongoing at the time to water down the governance around the $8.5 billion in climate financing that SA1, you might remember, at the COP, COP is Conference of the Parties, COP26 in Glasgow, this is the Climate uh, Mitigation Conference, uh, and confirmed again last year at the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh uh, in Egypt. This minister, the writer said, responded to his concerns about watering down governance with a shrug. Some people, the minister is said to have said, would just have to eat and he should be pragmatic about it. You can imagine Dorator's horror. It was him and his ESCOM team who first found the 8.5 billion for renewable energy in the first place. They brought home the bacon. Now they have to sit and watch somebody else consume it. Not fair, not right. Uh, we still don't know who that minister was, but the name I'm sure will come out uh, in time. After his interview, however, Gordon uh, Gordon turned on him, saying he'd been swanning around the world uh, on his green energy mission instead of fixing ESCOM's coal plant and fixing load shedding. There may be a point to that, but I seriously doubt that um, uh, our evident attitude in the highest levels of government to renewable energy 
still can still stand given some of the things that they are accusing the rate of doing without him having swanned around there'd be no eight billion dollars at all and they should know that uh, we'll be lucky to hold on to it at this rate as i say the names will all come out in time the politicians know who they are and you know they will in the meantime of course be creating as much diversion as possible while preparing their own stories for the days to come of revelation the ANC lightweights dancing in the streets and our TV screens now calling for Dorator's head. Unless he quote names, names, unquote, are just a foolish and probably deliberate distortion or distraction. Sadly for them, Dorator's not an idiot. He will have known what his obligations were as CEO under the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Practices Act, PRECA. Most CEOs will know that. Most senior executives in any business, any listed business, any big public business, should know what they are and he will have reported what he knew to the police multiple times and to his chairman this would have been last year before the board changed it would have been Malagapuru Makhoba I doubt whether the politicians the political pressure now uh, will buckle him there's nothing really that he can be forced to do now that he's left ESCOM throughout his interview with Larson uh, which improves by the way with the second viewing the rater refers to investigations that we have done and it is never obvious who's referring to but his story is amazingly similar, it turned out, to one which appeared on the Daily Maverick site on Monday, with an experienced Kevin Bloom writing that he and a team uh, of journalists had been invited to immerse themselves in the detail of what seems to be a private intelligence operation which sought to infiltrate in turn and understand uh, the Mpumalanga cartels that Dorota had spoken about in his interview. Atop a huge organogram on the wall at a secret location in Johannesburg, apparently, sits the name of a senior cabinet minister who directs the cartels. A second minister's name appears there too, as do the names of a string of South African police service generals, brigadiers, colonels, captains, all of whom will one day be consumed by what they've done. The ANC is increasingly less able to protect them as it slithers and slides in the polls. Bloom and his colleagues were first introduced to this intelligence on the wall late last year, probably before Dorota resigned. Uh, uh, and there seems little doubt to me that the intelligent gathering on the cartels and the criminal horde surrounding ESCOM has not been done by the police or the intelligence services. I don't think, um, given Dorota's own evidence that their lack of interest, that it would have been. So this must be the work of a private sector intelligence operation, privately financed, possibly driven at least by a now-departed ESCOM CEO at his wit's end then about the total disinterest of the state in the fate of ESCOM. I was struck by something he told Larson. Quote, This is an existential threat to the state, he said. There are acts of treason going on daily, or going on on a daily basis, in Pumalanga, and state security are just missing in action. But as Bloom made clear in his report, what he saw on the wall, and perhaps what Dorota knows is happening, uh, is intelligence, not evidence. That's why people can't be named yet. The compelling question, though, is where the president is. I think we can safely assume he knows whose names are on that chart on the wall in Johannesburg. The Rater said he gave all his information to some of Ramaphosa's close advisors, and there's an off chance they may have actually passed it on. 
it would at least explain why he's taking so long to reshuffle his cabinet. If the intelligence that the cartels run their own hit squads, the rate spoke of 60 to 70 well-armed men at their disposal, has reached the presidential air, then he must be in absolute agony about keeping the bosses of those people inside his cabinet. Who could it possibly be? I have absolutely no idea. Um, but the, clearly, and this, everybody, this will, you know, this is not crossing into any dangerous territory, I don't think. The politician most closely associated with the coal lobby and the most ardent opponent of the transition away from coal and the most vocal critic of Dureta has been Minerals and Energy Minister Guerra Mantasha. But how do you keep someone like him out of cabinet? He's just been re-elected against the Ramaphosa favourite, chairman of the ANC. He can't be fired from that, and neither does it pay much. So not keeping him in government would invite political retaliation, and Guerra is a bull in a china shop when he wants to be. He could make life absolutely unbearable for Ramaphosa if he's excluded or isolated. On the other hand, if Ramaphosa has information that he thinks would warrant dropping Mantasha or any other minister, then he has no choice, because doing otherwise could land him in jail one day, because he'd then be guilty of contravening Preka. It's easy to pick on Mantasha an example, uh, because he's been so vociferous about defending coal. But his may not be one of the names on the wall. We just don't know. What strikes me as odd, though, is that the way Bloom wrote his story is that the private intelligence operation somehow now expects journalists to turn their intelligence into actual evidence. That's really hard to do, and it may even be asking too much. We've all just seen what has happened to the Gupta tapes, the Gupta files in the corruption trial currently underway in Bloemfontein. Prosecutors have tried to use the Gupta tapes, and they've been thrown out by the judge. They're not evidence, despite the millions of thrilling words of reportage given them a few years ago. The fact is, journalists, even the best investigative ones, are not policemen. They run armed, they can't break into houses, they can't break into safes, they can't break into files. From Watergate to now, that work has always been done by someone else and passed on to journalists. And it's what the journalists write carefully, in context, with judgment, that, of, that can advance the story. It's what they write that creates the pressure. And it's the pressure that forces people to make mistakes. Ramaphosa, for instance, stayed stock still after De Reuter's interview last Tuesday. Didn't move the dial. But when Bloom's story dropped on Monday morning, corroborating what the writer had said, uh, Ramaphosa called an emergency cabinet meeting for that very night. That's pressure. It's beautiful to watch. And you can amuse yourself endlessly about the content of that cabinet meeting. Was it about how to hide evidence? Was it about how to, uh, you know, how to find the guilty people? I can't see Ramaphosa getting a coherent cabinet out anytime soon. This is all too close to home, too perilous, downright dangerous. These are people who steal a billion rand a month. What's a life to them? But now I think is the time for the president to show us doubters, critics, former supporters, what he's got. It's no good chasing policemen way down the line. It's only when you cut off the head of a snake that it dies. I'm aware, of course, that the criminality and corruption in and around ESCOM only partly explains the load shedding. The rate admits he failed to control load shedding. And maybe, or but maybe, like bankruptcy. Mechanical failure is one of those things that starts slowly 
and then ends in a rush. I've had a look at the energy availability factor graph at ESCOM, and basically since 2008, no matter who's been the CEO, this has been on the slide. It's, it's accelerated uh, under Dorota, but it certainly didn't start under him. It certainly didn't middle out in, in, while he was there. What he took over was a broken horse, um, uh, and unfortunately he thought that he could get it up and running again, and he hasn't. No one I rate thinks it's possible to save ESCOM in its current form. Even its new plant, Madupi and Kusila, will one day prove so expensive uh, they'll be shut down and replaced by more reliable, healthier technologies. Imagine, even today, you know, the electricity being produced by Madupi has got to, got to be the most expensive in the world, given how much it's cost. All of the corruption around the boiler contracts and Hitachi and ANC partnering Hitachi and the ANC getting Hitachi the contracts to build faulty boilers that retarded the use of Madupi and now certainly Kusila for this long. It's the direct result of corruption from the ANC when they were financing the party directly rather than indirectly has now become the case through the Guptas and now cartels in Mpuma and Mpumalanga. There'll be no way that you could make a decent case for using either Madupi or Kusila much into the, into the 20, uh, 2030s. All this sits heavily, no doubt, on Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa's shoulders. It's no good welcoming the fact that the Financial Action Task Force, the sort of global um, uh, money laundering watchdog, has uh, just grey-listed us because we are too, use, too easily used to launder money or to finance terrorism. It makes us the only grey-listed member of the G20. Now, embarrassing. And it's no, there's no point saying that this is an opportunity. It's rather like, you know, I remember clearly Robert, uh, Ramaphosa and his ministers saying that COVID was an opportunity to recast the economy somehow. Well, that didn't work either. And this is not an opportunity. This is a disaster. Don't listen to people saying it's not a problem. We may not think it is. But the correspondent banks and businesses in Europe and North America that we want to now do business with as a grey-listed country are going to immediately know because we will trigger the most ferocious responses. Those guys live under incredibly strict uh, reporting regimes. Their attitudes to us will change until the FAT says otherwise, and it's naive to believe otherwise. And the thing is, we've been grey-listed for exactly the same reason Director or someone close to him has put together a private operation to uncover graft and venality at ESCOM. We're good at reporting wrongdoing. How many charges do you see politi politicians and political parties laying against others? But absolutely hopeless at investigating it. Still, the uh, rate has put us at a real, real hard crossroads now. His allegations can't be swept under the carpet. For a start, our creditors want to know what is happening to the money they lend us. And the president cannot afford to have actual criminals in government going into election. This bubble simply has to burst. Well, that's me done for the week. Uh, I hope that was helpful um, and uh, entertaining. I'll be back with you again next week with a guest or on my own. Who knows? It's a mystery. Please have a good week. Keep safe. Be good. Bye-bye.